Hello and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation, brought to you by Hirespace. This episode, we have seven minutes with Glenn Mainwaring, Business Development Manager at The Barbican. I've never come across a venue or another supplier or a competitor that are not happy to share information because I think it comes round and I think um, that's important and that's um, a good quality of this industry. Then we've got some essential advice for anyone looking to find sponsors for their event as I sit down with Kieran Morris, the Sponsorship Director at Slingshot Sponsorship. And then of course the key thing is what is their key marketing objective for the next one, two, three years? No marketing person or someone in the marketing director channel will be only looking at short-term goals. So how can you help leverage your event to actually tick a lot of boxes for them? But first, with the potential of a US-UK trade deal on the horizon, what are the differences between the US and UK events markets? Politically agnostic? What are the political leanings of the event industry in the UK? And Crouchfest 2019. Peter Crouch has announced his plans for a music festival, the latest in a long line of influencer-led events. On the panel for the News Digest this week, Ed is joined by Charlotte Gentry and Richard Groves. Evening, everyone. Evening, Ed. Evening, Ed. Richard Groves from Smart Group is with us. Good How afternoon. Hi, very well, thank you. You? Very good, thank you, very good. And Charlotte Gentry from Pure Events. Hi, Ed. How you doing? Very good, thank you. And you have a special guest with you, Charlotte. I Tell do. the listeners who is with you today. Do you know what? He's very, very small, uh, furry, um, and uh, very, very cute. And his name's Johnny Gentry. And he's my new addition, which is a long-haired miniature dachshund. Lovely. He's, uh, he's for the listeners' benefit. He's currently charging around the <laughs> studio, looking very sweet. And Richard, you've just been uh, visiting. Is it the world's most expensive bed? Well, we believe it is. Yes, it was the launch um, last week of a half a million pound bed that was launched on the twenty fourth floor of the Shard um, for three days last week, and then lots of very rich people came to have a look. And it's it's got lights and it's got sound and it pulsates and moves about and things. So um, if you're lonely one night you can make the whole thing a party of your own <laughs> what was it doing up there it was just being launched to the um, to rich individuals rich high worth individuals who um, like to spend time in bed guys let's talk about america um i think the uh, donald trump is over here yeah. yep. Yep. england the uk and, and america are about to have the greatest trade relationships ever if you're to believe all of the hype, Donald's over here laying the groundwork, it's all going to be amazing. Um, I don't know how true that is, but if it is true, is this is this something that filters down all the way to the events industry? Are we going to have you know deeper, more established ties with the US or, um, or, or, or not? I think because we're a service industry, we're slightly separated from this. If, if we do go for um, no Brexit and we end up having to do big trade deals with the with the states quite quickly, um, I think these words will come back to haunt Trump because there's going to be lots of people wanting to sell to us the things we might not want to buy, like the chickens and the things that they, they want to sell to us that we don't have the same approval of their hygiene levels and various other bits and pieces. But I think on the service industry, we have an incredibly good relationship with American companies in this country. Um, and I think they really appreciate what the British event industry does. And personally, 
I think we do a better job in this country than possibly they do back home. On the service side. On the service side. We just actually had a um, very, well, had a very interesting conversation today because we're producing a very big event um, for a huge software business down in the O2. And um, they've had an absolute shocker because they produce exactly the same event in Vegas and said it was utter shambles. Um, and we're even discussing the possibility of actually taking us over to the States to actually produce the same thing, even though they are American, um, because the service they found this this side has been so much better. And I've spoken to quite a few clients that we have who've got um, American, American offices, um, and agencies aren't quite as well respected over there as they are here because they charge inordinate fees um, and everything is, is is so much more expensive, inclusive, in, including venues as well. But they also do have much, much bigger capacities in, in, in the States, whether you're looking at Florida or whether you're looking at Las Vegas, their capacity charts are significantly higher, whereas you just can't get the level of capacities mm. over here that what, you get over there. What are the big differences between the UK events industry and and the US? In places like New York, they're unionised. So the, the set builders and the waiters and the food and beverage staff all tend to be unionised and therefore... Um, working hours, working practices and, and salaries are very tightly controlled and, and probably heading towards slightly uneconomic. Um, in, and it, it, I know people struggle when they try and take an event from London and replicate it in New York. It's it's um, most major cities and, and some of the smaller cities in the States have all got big conference centres. So mm. when I was president of the International Special Event Society, we used to go twice a year and, and, and have a conference and a big award ceremony and things over there. And we used to go to the most extraordinary, relatively small places, but they all had a thousand-seater mm. auditoria and big event spaces. Whether they had the creativity to go with it, it was all tr- very traditional, very, here's your stand, put up a little sign, put up your banner and you know get on with it, that sort of thing. And I didn't think, personally, as an F&B person, we had anything to worry about with the service levels, peculiarly, which you always think service is going to be great mm-hmm. in the States, nor in the creativity of the food and, and, and the drinks mix. I just, We were very proud when we used to host our parties over there and do it the British way, and they were always very impressed when they came over to us as well. I think people get. I think companies get charged an awful lot of money for not really very much over there. Um, uh, from what I can gather, and actually, we've got we work with a, one of the biggest U.S. law firms in this country, um, and we've had many a battle trying to get the U.S. where the sort of the procurement is based to understand why they use us, and in the U.K. because they just don't use any agencies in the U.S. because they just don't believe in them because. They're getting charged because the fees are so huge, and they don't feel like they're getting any value. So, and so how I, do they do it in in the US? That's, they do. They do everything well. A lot of businesses do a lot of what they produce internally, and I think the content gets outsourced, and the production gets outsourced, but the logistics absolutely doesn't. And obviously, they will go and find um, you know relevant. Um, uh, catering companies and, and production companies, but similarly, production companies charge an, charge an absolute fortune. I mean, we've done um, events at, at CES, which is um, the Consumer Electronics Show in, in Vegas every January, and the pricing is absolutely off the charts. And, and you know, Vegas has got obviously probably the biggest number of bedrooms that there, that there is to have probably in in the US. In, in terms of one city and they just have a monopoly and they just charge whatever they want so all the biggest um, companies such as Adobe host their big kickoffs there every single year so they don't have to be competitive mm. it will um, happen. you know in Florida's the other one um, obviously Miami's a big um, congress location mm-hmm. as well Orlando the, has the ho- yeah the hotels have got you know huge capacities and they have so many big resorts and we just don't do the resort thing 
in the, not just in the UK, but even in Europe, we just can't compete result-wise because I've tried to do the comparison actually on a number of occasions. It's just not possible. And I think interestingly, because they've got some, so many bed spaces, and you know, particularly Las Vegas is based purely on bedrooms and the amount of people flying in and out every day for conferences and, and symposiums and stuff, that the accommodation is so cheap, but, they, but then everything else is loaded. So mm-hmm. I, when I went to a conference there a while ago, they said that they um, the bed night churn was just extraordinary, and there was like 160,000 people mm. a day coming in and out and, and filling the hotels. And really, they, they would sell the hotel at the basic cost just to pay for the housekeeping because they know that everybody comes with a wad of cash to spend on either gambling Mm. restaurants prostitution or merchandising or shows the five big ones and you know they'll they'll take it off somehow because Mm. you've you've flown into this little this little bubble does the uk and other places in the world do they look to to the u.s as a kind of blueprint my my we actually had this question actually came up at a a recent um event held by evcom actually um, which was a c-suite event um, and the same question was asked and actually I think um, and statistics show that we are certainly leading in creativity in this area and that the UK is is renowned as being one of the biggest creative hubs globally and actually we are streets ahead when it comes to creativity in this particular sector so uh, whereas yes the US you know are we're often led by the US in terms of everything that we do um, in most areas politically economically etc in in the events world I actually think it's the other way around mm, certainly on the creativity and the, and, the, and the service elements the things that we are seeing because obviously smart group is very big in the Christmas party market and we are seeing some timidness coming in from the American companies based over here about mm. what they call it so it can't be called a christmas party it has to be a holiday party they don't like unlimited drinks packages anymore it's it's it, they're very tentative about mm. what they offer their, their staff on these big thousand people events um and, and and how they behave themselves people getting exuberant mm. and that sort of thing which happens at christmas parties are you enjoying trump's visit well, we're actually um, it's the the, um, the protests haven't been anywhere near as dramatic as we were hoping they might be because um, our office is literally right next to Westminster and actually it's been a bit of a sort of pathetic affair really. <laughs> just difficult to get about. Just, yeah, just difficult to get about, but not quite enough people to make it impossible. So yeah. we can't start cancelling meetings or anything. No, I, I, I was fascinated by it. I, I, I um, kept sort of snatching bits of the BBC mm. live feed to see where he was next and and how they get all the helicopters into the grounds of Buckingham Palace mm. and the the and the fact that there were two or three helicopters and no one knew which one was on and they swapped places and you know, I thought it was fascinating the logistics of the whole thing. The media seems to be have actually been quite um, a bit more pro him this time round though. I mean, I was listening to, I mean, I, you know, I have a, I, I apologise for what I'm about to say, I have a small crush on Piers Morgan, okay, which I just do. <laughs> I know I'm probably about the only person on the planet that does, but I do because I find him very entertaining. Richard's jaw just hit the ground. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um... And, um, you know, the interview that he did on TV this morning um, with Piers Morgan was actually really interesting. And, and Trump and Piers Morgan, yeah. did they? Oh, right. Yeah, they they like each other, yeah, don't they? they? they re- yeah. yeah, they do. Um, and um, But it feels like, you know, the media coverage has been a little more... Um, positive, yeah. Positive, positive yeah. to the whole thing. And I think it's a very good sort of, you know... Um, uh, distraction from the whole Brexit scenario. I think, you know, you've got Brexit on one side, which has been such a negative situation. And now we've got this, you know, oh, okay, well, 
as one door shuts, another one might be opening with the US, and that's been a big spin. I think yeah. maybe the, the media. And are I think using. he's been relatively well behaved. He threw a little yeah. um, grenade in on the way in about um, the, the mayor. And, Stone and cold stuff. loser. Yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah, and I think he's been really nice to Theresa May. Is obviously living out a suitcase at the moment, and you know, just mm. waiting to go on Friday, and that's <laughs> it, sort of thing. So on the on the stay on the kind of politics, as I saw this, this was in I think it was in in MNIT, and it said that the. Um, said that the events industry was split on who should be the next prime minister. I think actually it was more qualitative than quantitative. It was a few voices in the events industry. But it just it got me thinking, is the events industry politically agnostic? Is it neutral or, or does it kind of tend towards one left or right or, 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 or any other direction? Bit of a scary question, isn't it, really? Um oh. Careful, Charlotte. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I personally tend to dodge um, politics um, in an open forum these days, having um, voiced opinions and been horribly shot down and told to button my lip. So, um, yeah. Not I'm... on the Event Lab podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if I was going to be politically correct, I'd say that it's an entrepreneurial based government is probably best for the events industry because people have confidence they they um, they would help on things like minimum wage and, and helping um, put up the, the tax thresholds for Christmas party spend and that sort of thing. So then that tends to have happened under conservative governments and whether, you know, that's just black and white, I, I, I doubt it, you know, but it's a very big industry mm. that we have now and we have, a, we have an increasing voice which still needs to be louder and it needs to be listened to more, but I think it needs to be... Um, Conservative governments traditionally have been more supportive. You know, and I think that you know, any government that is going to potentially um, uh, affect whether or not, or how much of a recession we might, you know, end up by being forced into, is only going to be a negative um, impact for for the events industry because you know, at the end of the day within a recession event uh, and marketing budgets are, tend to be the first things to be looked at and slashed, which in actual fact is entirely the wrong thing to do. Um, but that tends to be what happens. So that would be very negative, obviously, for us. But in, putting in, in perspective, we've had a Conservative government for the last three years since the referendum and we've gone to hell in a handcart in that three years under a Conservative government and mm. no one's spending any money. Well, mm. some people aren't spending any money. I'll tell you who's spending money. Peter Crouch. <laughs> have you have you seen this Crouch Fest? So Peter Crouch, I, for those who don't know, I'm sure most people know, former footballer, podcast host, and now the owner of Crouch Fest, which is a big Peter Crouch themed, from what I can tell, festival. I just wonder, we got this. We had Jar Rule um, doing Firefest. He wasn't the name of it, but he was kind of behind it. I just are we seeing more? We've got the big kind of influencer culture. Are we seeing more celebrity-led or influencer-led events? I think the festival market has just gone absolutely bonkers. So I think everybody feels that they need to be attached to something in that in that mm. arena right now, don't they? I mean, I, I certainly know that um, for us, we are being asked to do a lot more festival style events um rather than summer parties now they're all festivals a lot of them um so um it, we're talking about one in norfolk next year in, in well yeah no, home. well and, yeah exactly and that, that, that is a festival theme for two days for a very yeah. large american company yeah. and you know that they, they want that informality i think it's the i think everybody loves music everybody mm. loves food everybody likes to kick back and it, there are lots of festivals and there are some celebrity endorsed mm. ones we were talking about the blur cheese yeah. maker um, Alex James. Alex James, thank you. And he, um, 
you know, he's he set it up and he's done it very well. He hasn't mm. sort of, let's say, put a couple of porta cabins up and hope it's going to work. This is properly organised and safe events. But but I think his festival is very much geared around, um, and there's been a big pull towards um, uh, food, uh, food and you know more cultural style um, festivals, not just the whole music sort of Glastonbury or, you know, Secret Garden, let's all go and get absolutely messed up type situation. And um, there's a lot more culture that's being introduced at these um, at these festivals as well. And, you know, Soho House produced a house festival, which is absolutely influencer-led. Um, I mean, it's completely, it's it's the event of the year for a, for a large portion of the creative industry, actually. So all the, all the ad agencies absolutely go to that without fail. And that happens happens i think in primrose yeah. hill or what one of or kenwood house or what one of them anyway um every every year so you know and there's about 20 literary festivals on at the moment as well yeah. over the year and you know that that has great food great it's the demographic is it's going to be people who read books and you know love literature then they're not going to yeah. want to sleep on you know wet puddle on the floor we're always talking about events and experiences a central part of any modern marketing mix and you know, if you're an influencer and celebrity you're always looking to build your build your brand so i wouldn't be surprised to see more of these you know live events which had the actual you know the the figurehead the celebrity the influencer at the at well, but, the core well t- totally because you know at the end of the day it comes back to um the millennial scenario is you know in terms of what they follow and how they engage with with marketing now which is entirely social media influencer led mm. who would like you crouch fest i don't like the, the name it's, it makes you think of going into the woods when you can't get into the border cabins at glastonbury <laughs> he wanted to call it crouchella but he got sued by oh uh, coachella yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who would you have who would be your favorite celebrity to go to a, an event for Piers Morgan Fest. Piers Morgan Fest. Oh, I don't know. Um, How many days could you do that for? Norton Fest. I think I'd. I think I'd pick Graham Norton. Actually, I think he'd be a great person to be at a festival with. Norton Fest, Richard. <laughs> any preference? Um, no, but I think Susanna Reid puts up a good show against your she friend does, Piers. She does. Yeah, she absolutely does. But interestingly, they never They've look got at each some other. Interesting chemistry going. They don't, on. haven't they? Just yeah. yes. I thought I'd finish with news that Glastonbury, fifty years old, or wow. fifty years old, and they're releasing a book, Glastonbury, fifty years on. Amazing. Have you been to Glastonbury? Uh, loved. Uh, actually, I've never. Sadly, I've never been. No, but um, would love to go. Um, but you know, a lot of it's been a washout a lot of the time. I think the, the one thing that puts me off is not being able to go to the loo, and um, sort of having to be sort of you know head to toe in sort of waterproofs. They love a good readers, listeners love a good stat on the Event Lab podcast. So I thought I'd ask you guys: guess how many people went in the first year, nineteen seventy, and how many people go now? Oh wow. 1970, let's say 1,500 people, 1,500 people, and I don't know, what is it? Oh, God. 30,000 people, oh, yeah, 20,000 people, think. something? Yeah. 1,500 went, 1970, and now it's... Oh, but spot on. Well done, Richard. And now it's quarter of a million. Wow. Wow. Amazing. That is crouch fest, isn't it? Yeah. And I think worth saying, so they're doing a big um, sustainability focus this year, Glastonbury. Um, another stat for you, guess how many plastic water bottles... Oh. We used last year. I can't even begin to imagine. It's 250,000 people, and they're there for three and or four days. Yeah, and, 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 and they're probably drinking four it or five each. Yeah, yeah, 1.3 million. Mm. But credit to them, they're they're addressing it this uh, this 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 year. And yeah, tough thing to manage, I guess, because yeah, you're going to have people need water. Yeah. Right, Absolutely. I think we're almost there. Thank you very much, Richard. You're very welcome. Thank you very much, Ed. Thank you very much. Charlotte. Thank you very much, Ed. Lovely to see you again. Thank you very much, Johnny Gentry down there. He's having a great time ripping his bed to bits, which is fun. (laughs) (laughs) See you all next time. Thanks a lot. Bye.
Ed is joined now by Glenn Mainwaring, Business Development Manager at The Barbican, as they sit down for another round of 7 Minutes With. Glenn Mainwaring, mm-hmm. Business Development Manager at The Barbican. That's right. It is a honour to have you on the uh, Event Lab podcast for the second time. I, yeah, second time. For those who didn't listen to Glenn mm-hmm. and Jackson Clark from Patch on a very early episode of the, of the Event Lab podcast, mm-hmm. one of the great <laughs> interviews. Uh, Jackson um, was very kind. <laughs> I can't believe you're on again. I know, yeah, you've um, dragged me back. And no, I'm honoured to be asked. Thanks for having me. So, Glenn, we're going to do seven minutes mm-hmm. with you. Remind everyone, remind the listeners what you do, who you are. Yeah, so um, I'm the business development manager at The Barbican. I've been there seven years. Um, very much the face of The Barbican. Uh, no, debatable. But, uh, d- yeah, debatable. Um, but uh, no, I've been there for a really long time and I've sort of, um, you know, been in the industry for quite a long time as well. I've done some time working with Higher Space in the past. And um, yeah. MIA? Oh, yeah, of course. Sorry. Um, uh, there is such an association called the MIA, the Meeting Industry Association. And um, there's a, a Connect Task Force, which uh, is the events committee, essentially. And I'm the chair of that committee. Of course you are. Glenn, mm. what's your favourite cocktail? Um, oh, God. Um, I would go with Negroni because... Um, it has the most, it's just essentially alcohol, and I don't want to spend a lot of money on uh, these expensive cocktails. Of course you don't. Let's do food then. Canapé. What's your favourite canapé? Um, anything with pâté on it. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a feta or, or uh, goat's cheese. I like goat's cheese. Anything with goat's cheese. Goat's mm. cheese and pâté. <laughs> yeah, delicious combo. Glenn, oh, I've been looking forward to this one. <laughs> How would you sell yourself in three words? Oh, gosh. Um, without sounding really narcissistic, uh, I suppose I'm quite charismatic. I'm quite, I'm quite, I consider myself quite funny. Um, and you know what? It's what you see is what you get. And what about the Barbican? Three words. Creative, again, charismatic and um, iconic. So Glenn, <laughs> you've had a great career already. Thank you. You, might, you must have learned a lot. What, are there any kind of bits of advice that you'd give yourself at the start of your events career that would have served you well? Um, you know what, yes. Uh, I suppose the journey has been quite an adventure and I've been open to lots of opportunities that have come my way. I think that is what I'd give to anybody in the industry or any industry really, is just to be open-minded and um walk through doors that you wouldn't necessarily walk through just to sort of give yourself that experience and the exposure because you never know what's on the other side you strike me as someone that doesn't say no to too much <laughs> i'm very easygoing. <laughs> well you make a lot of stuff look easy but what's the most challenging thing about being an events professional today uh, i would just say the fierce fierce competition whether that's with the venues or new venues popping up the new and ambitious salespeople that are, you know, nipping at your heels. It is fierce competition. Great. Well, let's talk very quickly about the well, the, the MIA and industry associates and generally. Mm-hmm. I love the MIA. I think it's fantastic. But what do you see as the role of associations in the events industry? Yeah, specifically for the MIA, I suppose. Um, I've been a member for a really long time. I get a lot of value from it. There's support there. There's a, um, uh, there's a you know, 
there's a lot of information that you can get from there. There's a lot of connections that you get from it as well. Um, the training, the knowledge. And I think it's a really good platform as well. So if I was struggling with an inquiry or a difficult customer, a difficult agent, then I guess I could go to those um, individuals uh, who are members who can give me that support. Fence industry one that's quite supportive. Mm-hmm. I think it is. You know what? And I don't... Um, I've never come across a venue or another supplier or a competitor that are not happy to share information because I think it comes round and I think um, that's important and that's um, a good quality of this industry. Yeah, totally agree. So mental health and stress is a big thing in the events industry. I wonder if you have any tips for our listeners on how you maintain a a healthy balance, a good balance and Mm -hmm. keep a healthy mind while working hard as as everyone in this industry does. Yeah, um, you know what, I... I know everybody has their different ways of dealing with stress and anxiety, and I've gone through um, quite a lot of that in my past. I um, there's go there's a, always got to be a balance, I think, and um, I'm fortunate that at the Barbican Centre there's a, a bit of a, a relaxed approach about you know working hard and play hard as well. And throughout um, the day, I will try and give myself at least an hour for lunch and go to the gym because I think that is an important. Um, it's or not. It's obviously a healthy mind, healthy body, and all that, and it's a good escape for me as well. Uh, in the evenings, when I'm going, my mind is going absolutely mad. Um, I actually listen to an app called Calm, which has various different functions like sleep stories and um, daily meditation things. And I, honestly, God, it might sound a little bit silly, but it, I think it actually just genuinely helps. It's very effective, especially at night, you know, when you're just literally lying in bed thinking, I've got to do this contract, that client's going to be annoyed with me. Gosh, I'm, you know, whatever's going on in your head, you need that sort of someone telling you, it's going to be fine, you know. Do you think the industry, there's enough avenues? You mentioned the Barbican are supported, which mm-hmm. is great. Do you think there's enough avenues in the industry generally? I think it's, it's spoken about a fair bit. I think you can't mm-hmm. speak about it enough. And I still wonder whether there's, mm-hmm. you know, if you've been in the industry for for mm-hmm. seven, seven, eight years, have you? do you think it does enough? Um, no, I don't think it does enough. And for whatever reason, this particular year, there's been a huge campaign pushing, you know, mental health, mental health awareness week. It should have happened, obviously, a long time ago because I think the reason is that um, it's coming into you know effect now is because it's a bit too late, and um, you know so I think there should be organisations that are dealing with mental health and and how to deal with it effectively and um, almost like a first aid for mental health. I think that should be sort of um, uh, a new training course. I essentially. I want to talk a little bit about our Event Lab content theme for mm-hmm. this month, which is partnership, sponsorship, and sales. But I'm going to do a fun one first. Okay. Movie of your life, <laughs> Glenn, the movie. <laughs> Who is playing you? Who is playing the lead character? Oh, God, it would be someone ridiculous, like a big hot mess, like Amy Schumer. <laughs> Amy Schumer. <laughs> yeah, she's funny, and um, I just love comedy, and someone that takes the make out of themselves, like her. Favourite venue, not Barbican. Yeah, obviously not Barbican. Um, uh, you know, I really like the Tate because, again, the iconic um, element of it, the creative element of it, the different spaces that it has, I think it's quite versatile. And, you know, I want variety with a venue. And uh, I think that has a lot to offer. And it also is a non-profit organisation, so having an event there will boost, um, you know, keeping that venue alive. And that's a really nice thing to talk about. And support. You are mm. you're a great salesman, great uh, salesperson. What are your top sales tips? Oh yeah, it's um, it's personality for me. 
you know, I think I've got to where I am based on personality, based on um, the fact that, you know, you make an impression, a good impression, hopefully. And um, I think from a sales point of view, people buy into people um, and that can create lasting relationships with clients, venues. Um, and so that's my top sales tip is just to have a good personality. Top tell and for I guess for for a venue, lots of lots of venues will be, be tuning in into this. What are the things I totally agree, salesperson point of view, what are the most of the things that a venue should focus on when pitching themselves to clients? And also, has this changed in your time in the mm-hmm. industry? I would just try and find out what is important to the client. Um some of us are used to just going in with their USPs and you know, have you I've got four hundred bedrooms and I've got natural light, etc. But actually just ask the client what they actually want from the event. Is it food? Is it um location? Is it budget? And then you can just drill into that then and you can just sort of massage them with fantastic USPs about the food or you know, the natural light, if that's important to the client, rather than going through your sales pitch and boring them to death. So listen, listen, listen. Yeah, it's just listen. And then you can get more from them. You know, highlight, I've got the thing for you. Brilliant. Let's talk more. Brilliant. Glenn, what are you most excited about coming up in 2019 in the events world? Um, I just, I, you know, I, I love looking for, I love hearing from my clients, you know, and they want to read book because that is the biggest compliment. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to see what happens this summer. I've got really exciting events in the pipeline. I'm going to quite a lot of awards. Um, and then there's the end of the year, Christmas. So And then we'll be doing it all again in January. Woo! <laughs> Brilliant, Glenn. We have approached the end of our seven minutes. Seven minutes. Been great talking to you. Oh, thanks, Ed. Thank you very much for coming back. My pleasure. Always welcome. Up next, we are talking about event sponsorship, from how to find and approach the right sponsor to how to develop the relationship year on year. Kieran Morris from Slingshot Sponsorship has some essential advice for all event organisers. So today I am joined by Kieran Morris, the Sponsorship Director at Slingshot Sponsorship. Kieran, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, so we wanted to, wanted to get you on, basically, to kind of pick your brains about getting sponsors for events and what we can what we can teach, yeah, budding event organisers. Sounds sounds like a plan. So I guess just just starting off, I guess where do where do you start when you're looking for a sponsor for your event? It's um it's a good question, and it's it's one that a lot of people get wrong. To be fair, mm-hmm. um, the the thing you have to understand when you're finding sponsors is it's always more about them than it is about you. But this is the first time that it is about you. So what you need to start looking at is as a as an event, what do you have that those sponsors want? So before you start finding them, you need to look at identifying who your audience is. Um, so what are their purchase habits? What's the mm. demographic? Um, ideally, who are the brands that would want to sell to them? So what do they want? So if it's a B2B audience, obviously you need to look at brands that would be selling to them um, business to business or otherwise a consumer. Um, and then you need to obviously start to look at what can you provide them in return um, and then, of course, the main thing is, you know, start approaching and finding sponsors that actually have the right budget for what you want. No point going to a company that's got no marketing budget when you're asking them for 50 grand for a headline sponsor. So it's more about understanding who, who what you have and who you have uh, at your event. And then you can kind of flip flip that around and go and, go and find the right brands. 
Absolutely. I mean, so you mentioned those sort of mistakes that, that people make. I mean, are there a lot of sort of common mistakes you see kind of like first time event organizers falling into? Yeah, there's, I'd say the biggest one is that people over rely on sponsors to cover their event costs. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of people that come to us that say, um, my event costs 20 grand, therefore I need sponsors to cover all of those. Um, it's important for event organizers to actually look at multiple different revenue streams rather than just over relying on sponsors because sponsorship is bought on a cost versus value proposition so it's actually what can you offer that sponsor that's of value to them and then tangibly how much is that actually worth in the market so you have to then start to look at things like competitor analysis what other events are charging their sponsors what what's the kind of market rate um, you wouldn't you wouldn't overcharge for an individual product so it's the same thing for an event so yeah don't be too over reliant on it yeah so I guess you, you, I guess you, you identify some sponsors you think are potentially right for your event. Mm-hmm. I guess when you start to approach them, I guess what are the sorts of questions you need to be kind of using to examine the sponsors to kind of find out if they're right for you. Yeah. So if if you're if you're lucky enough and you've managed to get that that dodgy marketing director on a call, who's always hard to get hold of. Um, You need to start to really, and I think people get scared sometimes around asking the the kind of direct questions, but literally asking what budget do you have for sponsorship available? And if they say none, then it's going to be a difficult conversation, but you can start to understand that actually sponsorship encapsulates a lot more than typical marketing channels. Um, Also, I would suggest asking if they've ever done sponsorship before. Um, If so, what have they sponsored and was it successful? Um, If they say it wasn't, then what didn't they like about it or what did they like about it? Because then it can start to give you an understanding of what types of things they look for in a sponsorship. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the key thing is what is their key marketing objective for the next one, two, three years? No marketing person or someone in the marketing director channel will be only looking at short term goals. So how can you help leverage your event to actually tick a lot of boxes for them that's going to give you the best conversion rate so you really have to understand what their objectives are is, is probably the key takeaway i guess at what, at what point do you need to make it clear or do you need to establish the objectives that you have uh sort of like for them as well as kind of obviously taking into account their objectives in terms of so i guess at sort of what point i mean do you need to immediately establish kind of what your goals for them in relation to your, your event are yeah so all good sponsorship people will kind of have a good understanding of what you have that can solve a problem for them. So, for example, if you have a room of 500 people that they're potential clients, then it's a great sales objective. Tick. Tick that one off. Um, if you've got really strong social media channels um, and you can create unique content through your event with them, then it's a marketing objective. So it's all about trying to, or it's almost a guessing game with those, but it's an educated guess. If you know what that that company does then you're going to understand what their objectives are so as long as you can go to them with a kind of painted idea they should be a bit more open to giving you better ideas as well mm-hmm. i mean how much how much do research do people need to be doing before they kind of approach their sponsors i'd say it's probably the the thing that people skip the most um and just kind of come up with a list of brands that they think are good they'll be thinking about great coca-cola and pepsi have big budgets let's go straight for them but the research part is is the most important part because you need to understand exactly what those brands are looking for. There's a few kind of tips and tricks around that. There's a few pieces of software. Some are expensive, some are inexpensive. Uh, One's called Pearl Finders, for example, and they basically give you insights into what the brands are trying to do in the sponsorship space. Um, Some of it's quite big in terms of looking at football stadiums and things like that, but some of it is just in general, it might be IBM are looking um, to look at a B2B conference in a certain space, for example, smart cities or something like that. So... 
um, using software like that, I'd also say looking at things uh, like the Financial Times and just general general news mm-hmm. um, to kind of look at where brands are going, keeping yourself up to date with new trends. So if there's a new technology emerging, maybe they want to sell uh, into certain companies that you can help them do that. So the research part is very key. Um, so those are all quite good. The other thing you can do is obviously look at similar events to you and what their sponsors are. And I'm not saying you have to go and poach their sponsors. It's not the worst strategy. You can do it for sure. Um, but if they've got, and the easiest thing, if they've got Coca-Cola, for example, terrible example, but yeah. if they have Coca-Cola, therefore go to Pepsi because brands are pretty competitive. They'll be wanting to do the same thing as someone else in that space. So if you can offer them something that their competitors doing, but for better, then do that. So have a look at have a look at competitors as well. Absolutely, that's a great tip. Yeah. So just thinking about the competitors, if you have two sponsors, if you have sponsors in your kind of lineup of people that you want to get on board, but you're identifying that they perhaps have similar like product offerings or a kind of similar target market, could that be a problem? Um, it can be a problem if you haven't communicated it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see an issue with having two sponsors that are the same um, because it will probably give your customers or your delegates a bit of a better experience because you've got two competing brands trying to engage them in a better way um, like any other market. Um, The key thing is though that you're trying to keep your sponsors happy so I wouldn't recommend doing it without talking to them but if they, for example, if that sponsor wants to be the exclusive category sponsor so they would want to be the only drinks partner of the event they should have to pay a premium for that. So therefore, you can negotiate a higher sponsorship rights fee with them based on the fact that they're saying, we'll only do this, but we don't want anyone else in this space. Um, so it's a good it's a good tactic to may- maybe push the price higher mm-hmm. um, to make sure you've only got one sponsor. Um, but if they're okay with their competitor being there, then fine. Um, you find with smaller events and things like even like award ceremonies, um, it's quite likely that you're going to have 10 sponsors that are very yeah. similar and do the same thing. But that's just that's just kind of the market. So and then you just mentioned keeping sponsors happy there. I guess what what does like I guess like really good communication look like with a sponsor? Yeah, I think it I think it really depends on the brand itself. And I think the the best thing to do is just have a constant open channel of communication with them. Um, some of the best sponsorships we've done, we've asked asked the sponsor what they prefer because mm-hmm. some will want bi-weekly calls. Um, they'll want to know exactly what you're doing when you're planning it. They'll want a full communications plan involved. They'll want to know obviously what time they're going to be at the event and what time they have to set up. So it's totally fine to have that regular communications with them but you also have to understand you've got to deliver your event so it will take away um, from the time for you doing that so I don't think there's a kind of a perfect answer other than ask them what they'd like Um, and I think that a lot of events and a lot of people are quite against or a little bit nervous around asking uh, brands too many questions because they feel like they don't want that but actually the more questions you ask them the better because you'll get a better understanding of how they work um, so yeah not really not really an easy answer for that one but um, probably just keeping communications with them as much as they'd like yeah I guess you, you feel like you don't want to fall into a trap of kind of going okay well we know that this worked for that sponsor so we just kind of apply that template like to all, all our others and then yeah exactly and and I can guarantee that all the different marketing directors have all got different opinions of it as well mm. So I guess, yeah, you, you've kind of established that relationship. You've got sponsors for your first event. How do you, I guess, grow that relationship kind of year on year as you repeat the event, bring them back in? Again, I think it comes down to uh, good communication and asking the brand what, what especially after you've delivered the event, um, you should have a, an evaluation meeting with every sponsor and say, 
what do you feel went well? What do you feel didn't go well? What would you like to see next year? And the best way to get them in for next year is to understand what they liked and what they didn't like so you can plan and grow your own event. Um, it's it's not an easy thing to lock in a sponsor for a, a three-year partnership, which every event would love that because it gives longevity and, and long-term partners are obviously of interest. Um, but I would suggest that maybe the best way to create year-on-year growth with sponsors is the first time you get a sponsor in, um, get them to come in at a lower price point. So almost like a try before you buy, um, you over-deliver um, everything and they they feel like it's a lot more value than they paid for then it becomes a really obvious question around why would we not sponsor this again because it delivered so much ROI. Um, again, that then comes back to making sure you set key KPIs and key objectives with the sponsor. So if they're saying that they would like the biggest space at your yeah. event and they want 100 leads, make sure you can help them generate that. And then if you didn't generate that with them, at least have a conversation as to why and what you're going to do next year to improve. Yeah, awesome. I mean, so I guess just just finally wrapping up, I guess what kind of what, I guess what kind of like three kind of like key things would you leave perhaps like new kind of events organizers, new professionals with, I guess, to kind of take away when they first go and approach a sponsor? I think the the first one I would probably say is uh, don't aim too high um, straight off the bat. Um, you want to go in uh, to a sponsor and it's probably worthwhile just getting them in and, and kind of giving them a lot more than they've paid for. Um, the second thing is don't skimp on the research. Make sure you take your time to understand what the brand really wants, yep. uh, who their key demographic is, their target market and how you can solve their objectives. Uh, and then the third one I'd say is probably just have really good communications with them um, and ask the right questions. Brilliant. I think there's there's a lot to learn from there. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Finally, on the 18th of June, we are hosting another Event Lab series workshop titled Proven Techniques to Enhance Stakeholder Engagement and Improve Event Project Results. The workshop will explore the techniques for keeping internal and external stakeholders informed and engaged with consistency across communications. Discover how to effectively provide evidence that all objectives are honoured with concise and cohesive messaging and in turn enhance the project outcomes for all involved. You can find a link with details to attend in the show notes below. If you, if you enjoy the show, make sure to rate us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. You can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at eventlab underscore online. If you have any questions you'd like to submit to the News Digest or you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at hirespace.com. Thanks very much for listening.